0: Great song, great start to a a two-and-a-half-hour show today. Welcome back, everybody. From the nice, cool, brisk El Paso. I didn't want to say it's not even winter yet. We're still in fall, but now it's starting to finally feel like we're out uh, out of summer. Really. Adrian, it's like in the 50s this week, cloudy today. My kind of weather.
1: Me too, Steve. I'm leaning into the uh, quarter zips. I'm leaning into the sweaters. And, uh, yeah, I love I love fleece weather like this.
0: It's football weather. It's playoff football weather, which is how we're going to lead today's show off since uh, a friend of the program is going to join us to uh, lead uh, sports talk uh, on this busy Tuesday afternoon. He is the uh, head football coach at Pebble Hills High School, the one, the only, Mark Torres – coach welcome back to the program good to have you uh, start us off for uh, a, a rare change we we never have a local high school football show uh, start our uh, coach start us off on a program it's it's nice that way
2: yeah well, thank you guys for having me anytime that uh, we can get on and support our kids and promote our program uh we're happy to do it
0: what a uh, what a season it's been for you in pebble hills huh it really has you're one of three teams left after by district and uh, more than anything uh, an opportunity to continue to build on uh, what has been uh, a, a, just a, a fun season for you, for your team, and uh, now uh, a chance to go uh, into area and and make some noise.
2: Yeah, we're uh, we're very pleased with the progress of our team. We've had some some turnover in the coaching staff, but for good reasons. You know, some of our guys have gone on to be head coaches, and uh, the guys that have come in have have been just about right for the kids that we have. And these kids that are juniors and seniors for us—they—they've been winners their whole lives, you know. But the time we were watching them in seventh grade, they've been successful, and uh, and they've really carried us and taken us to heights that we were—we've never been to before. So we're really proud of those kids.
0: You're not kidding. You beat Odessa Permian, and and how ironic that your first ever playoff win at Pebble Hills comes against a program that has knocked so many El Paso high schools out of the playoffs for the last 50 years.
2: Yeah, it's, it's great. And I think the main thing about that is, you know, we didn't beat a down Permian team. We beat a district champion Permian team, but the most important factor in my opinion was earning a home playoff game against that team. Um, I can't tell you just how important it was to really have a true home crowd and a home field advantage playing at the sack last Friday afternoon. And, uh, that means everything. We, we talk to our kids about playing and earning a, a playoff spot is one thing, but to have a home playoff game, which is the first time we've ever done that, and so much backing and support that we have over here at, in Socorro ISD and, and in our feeder pattern specifically, uh, man, the 12th man was, was alive and well Friday afternoon and evening.
1: Well, Coach, I just want to highlight this win a little bit more. I mean, you guys were able to win 45-28, and I think that might be real interesting to a lot of El Paso area fans who like high school football and follow this sport, knowing that you all were able to knock off a highly touted Odessa Permian team, and you won in a convincing fashion. What was this game really like for you all, and what was the key to success?
2: Uh, Respect. Uh, You know, that was our word of the week. We, We had a bye week in Week 11. And, and the word of the week that week was improve. And our kids did just that. You know, we're coming off winning our first district title, which was not easy in our league. And um, and we did improve during the bye week. And then we focused on respect. You know, we played Permian last year over at their place, had the lead for a, a good amount of the game, and then the last five minutes they came back to beat us in week one. Uh, then we scrimmaged them this week, or this, this year, I'm sorry, in Van Horn. And uh, the disrespect towards our team and our players was evident. And, and we had a chance to right the wrong. And uh, the only way you're going to get respect is to earn it, earn it on the field. And it was played, if you ever played against Permian or coached against Permian or Midland Lee? there's a certain style of play that happens out there in the Permian Basin. It's, it's, a, it's a reflection of their community. You know, they're, they're hard people, they're tough people, they're disciplined people. And we beat them at their own game, and that was so gratifying. We didn't get lucky. It wasn't a one-score game. I really felt like we were in control from the very beginning, and we finished very strong. And so the way we won is what just it impressed me the most and what I'm most pleased with.
0: Head Coach Mark Torres uh, joins us uh, from Pebble Hills as we continue here on Sports Talk Uh, You've been the only coach in the history of this high school. You took over in 2014, so you start to look back on those eight years and probably realize more than anything, and and you can attest to this and so can our listeners, that uh, when you start at a brand new high school, there is really no such thing as uh, an overnight uh, success story. It takes time to build a program. It takes time to get everybody committed, especially from the ground up and uh, talk a little bit about that and and the progression over the years as you've made Pebble Hills uh, a team that ultimately now is uh, advanced onto area.
2: Yeah, well, nobody did us any favors despite what the outsiders might think. You know, you, you look at when we were established, Eldorado and Montwood were two of the premier programs in town and schools in town, the most highly populated in town, and they threw us right in the middle of those two, and and also, we went right into 6A. So if you look at some of the other programs that are a little newer, maybe the last 20 years or so, you know, we didn't we didn't get the opportunity to uh, to progress like some of these other schools and be a be a small school and play in the lower divisions and whatnot. We were thrown right into 6A, and we had to play that monster schedule as as juniors in 16. So our challenge has been like unlike any other. And, and it has been hard. And there have been some trying times. And there's been a lot of second-guessing and questioning. But in the face of our players, you know, we just kind of practiced what we preached. And we were going to work hard every day and not make excuses. And ultimately, to just do it the right way. And I think listeners that are familiar with high schools, with little league programs across various sports understand exactly what I mean when I say do it the right way because this was no accident. We have worked hard from the ground up. We've done nothing but promote our program and not cross the lines and try to get anybody else, hurt anybody else's program in the process. That's what I'm ultimately the most proud of. And, and there's been a lot of sleepless nights um, doing this. So the people that have hung in with us and, and some more supported Pebble Hills High School from the onset, Uh, They've been through the grind with us. And this, like I said, this was no accident. And what happened last Friday evening was no accident either.
0: Mark, uh, listening to the, you know, the interview so far and hearing your answers to some of these questions, I feel like you've got a chip on your shoulder, and so, do these, so does this team. And in a sense, uh, when you're, you're probably never at a loss for motivation. It, it seems to me like since so many people have counted you out, disrespected you as you've talked about, and all these other things, uh, you have no trouble whatsoever finding ways to get your team up for big games.
2: Well, I mean, when you, just, you, when you work so hard and you don't take things for granted, you know, I'm always, I'm always thrilled when I show up to work and my key works. I'm excited that, you know, somebody didn't shut the door on me the, from the night before. And uh, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. I mean, we've seen that happen to many people around. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow, and it's such a privilege and an honor to represent this school, especially from day one. I don't take that lightly at all. And you know we put 915 just like UTEP did on the side of our helmets for the playoffs. And when we go into this this uh, this time of the year, you're not just representing your school. I mean, on one half of our helmet we're representing our school and our family, and on the other side we're representing our city. And I do have the privilege also of sitting on the board of directors for the Texas High School Coaches Association. And El Paso is non-existent in that association as far as they're concerned. And and we're starting to make a little bit of noise. And we do belong. And I think that's one thing that a lot of the coaches around here need to understand is that if you're just going to sit back and and do things the way they've always been done, you're going to get the same results. But if you really want to work and you go find out what makes the successful programs successful and then try to implement that and, and fight on behalf of your program and your teams, then you should have a chance. And that's all we're trying to do. We, we, just, we just want to give our kids and our program a chance. And I think with our new athletic director, J.J., well, he's not new. He's been here three or four years now. And, and he's been a head football coach and athletic coordinator. And understanding the year-round investment that it takes, um, that's what's going to give you a chance. And, I, and I'm lucky to work for him because he does advocate on behalf of all of our coaches and our programs. And so I don't expect to be El Paso good. I mean, why can't you just be good? I mean, we're in the playoffs for a reason, and we're in the state of Texas. I mean, it's serious, and, and I take it serious, and I hire people who take it serious. And, and we, it'll, it should bleed over into your locker room, and, uh, and it's done that because you don't just show up and beat the mojo. It doesn't just happen that way.
1: That's right, Coach. And and when it comes to this offense, I just want to highlight some of your players. Um, yesterday, the All-City list came out, and uh, uh, you know one of the MVPs was Gael Ochoa, your junior quarterback. You also look at the offensive side and who was named uh, uh, one of the MVPs as far as Athlete of the Year, Jacob Ledesma, one of your standout athletes. But I uh, want to highlight also somebody who means a lot to you personally, of course, your son, Marcus Torres, who's really emerged in the wide receiver core. What has it been like just coaching? your own son, who's posted 624 receiving yards and eight touchdowns this year, worked uh, uh, really hard to get where he's at right now.
2: Well, it, it, it's really a blessing, you know, and I, I wish that every every coach could have that opportunity if, if they're fortunate to have a son and, and they want to play the sport that you're coaching. Um, I think the person that has the most pressure on him, uh, right, but right below me is probably Marcus because he is my son, and and he plays one of those those fanboy positions of wide receiver. I don't coach him, you know. He has a coach, he has a position coach, he has a coordinator. You know, I talk to him at home. I answer any questions he might have. I give him any insight that he might be looking for. But you know, I, I'm I'm the head coach as far as it's concerned to him, and and I'm his dad when we leave here. But to just watch him, in my opinion, really, really overachieve, and uh, it's due to his hard work, and he really has worked himself into a good player. He's a brilliant kid. He's a, he's a lot smarter than I am. Um, he's got quite a head on his shoulders. He's just his academics are are off the charts as well, which I'm very proud of. And um, the kid just amazes me every single day. Um, like I said, he's. He's outdone any expectation I could have ever had for him. And to just watch him work on a daily basis is truly a pleasure. And, yeah, he came up big for us the other day. He had a couple of scores and um, a really big third-down conversion to start out our, our first series or second series of the game. And uh, it co- you know, he's gained a lot of confidence, but it's through hard work.
0: Mark Torres with us here on Sports Talk as we continue – You've got a fascinating road uh, to where you are right now. You've coached the offensive side. You've coached the defensive side as a coordinator and assistant. You spent five years at Irvin, three years at Austin, three seasons uh, at Franklin, and you've been with Pebble Hills uh, since its infancy. I mean, have you had any time to look back at your road to where you are now as a coach here in El Paso and just, uh, you know, really been able to take in all of the uh, different stops and and the work you've put in to get to this spot?
2: Always, always. Uh, You know, when I was like a freshman in high school, I was really fortunate. Tony Shaw was our head coach. Leon Stewart was our assistant head coach. And I I loved my coaches. And I really believed that they were there for the best interests of us as players. And I developed – well as a player and i understood the game because of the way they taught it in my opinion so they wanted they made me want to be a coach um my last two my last two years i was still in track at utep you know i was i was getting my degree to be a teacher and a coach and uh coach Stewart allowed me to be a volunteer and i was just a fly on the wall as often as i could be and uh i used to tell people all the time when i got to franklin because you know you coach at franklin everybody says you're a great coach and I just tell them, you know, I didn't learn how to coach at Franklin. You know, I learned how to coach when I was a player, and Cliff Olander, a former NFL quarterback, was our coordinator. And the way he taught the installs every week, you know, I learned. I learned how to coach by by learning from him. And then to be a coach at, at Irvin with these guys who were, who were, you know, they were getting ready to retire, and they had so much experience, and they really loved me and took me under their wing to explain to me you know the responsibility of a coach and and what it is and how you treat people and kids and and the custodians and the cafeteria ladies and the office people. There's so much to it. That's x's and o's. I mean, you could turn on YouTube and learn x's and o's, but if you're going to be a an effective coach, you got to be an effective communicator and you got to have a love for people that you're around and that that's real important. Then I went. I was able to get over to to Austin High School and. One of the most underrated coaches in El Paso history is, is Ruben Batista. And what a, what a great guy to work for during that time in my career. I mean, he allowed me, I, I went from coaching offensive line at Urban to be a defensive coordinator at Austin, and he just cut me loose and let me make mistakes and learn on the run and, and help support me when I wanted to go learn. And then uh, I was fortunate to be hired over at Franklin because I wanted to coach big school ball. And uh, Coach Walker, you know, I earned my spot over there. He he named me offensive coordinator after our first spring together. And, he, man, you talk about just having fun. You know, Franklin was Disneyland to me. Coming from Irvin and Austin, I mean, I used to have to coach my tail off for a first down or to force a punt. Then you go over to Franklin, and Adrian knows what I'm talking about. Man, we have some wonderful kids over there. And that can erase the mistakes that you make as a coach in a hurry. So, Franklin will forever be Disneyland to me. It was so much fun, and then that offered me the opportunity to come here to Pebble Hills. So I don't think I could have taken a a better path for me to be in the position that I'm in now so i I mean, from the time I was fifteen years old i I thank God every day for every stop I've made.
0: Robert Escalante tweets the show. I'm ready to run through a wall for you coach. Uh that's just the impact that this conversation's having on our people especially our our listeners like that. Uh let's wrap it up. You're going to go to Andrews. You're taking on a uh, North Crowley team that's perfect 11 and 0. Uh thoughts on the game and uh, what Pebble Hills needs to do to keep this dream alive.
2: Well, it, it's you know, it's not game plan stuff. It's really simple. And People, people get away from that really quickly. Uh, Winfield position, tackle well, block well, and don't turn the ball over. We do those things. We're going to be in it. I, I know our kids are going to fight. We have some fighters. Our coaches are fighters. I expect us to play with, with unmatched enthusiasm. If we don't play with outstanding intensity and effort, then my, my heart will shatter. I don't believe that's going to happen, but my heart will literally shatter if we don't show up to play hard. We do that and just take care of the fundamental things about the game. You know, we're going to be right there to be successful.
0: Terrific and stuff, Coach. Tell
2: Robert, yep. Robert we've got plenty of walls to run through. He can come over to, to Sparta anytime he wants. Practice starts in about 10 minutes. <laughs> thanks.
1: Hey, thanks, Coach. Thanks for all the great time today.
2: You got it. Thank you guys so much. It was a
1: pleasure.
0: Fantastic. Coach Mark Torres uh, joining us from uh, Pebble Hills as we keep things moving here on Sports Talk. What a good start to the show today. Uh, Phone calls, tweets, all that coming up right after Charlie One, who's got a traffic update for us. 20 past as we continue. Great stuff from Pebble Hills head coach uh, Mark Torres as we get going here on a Tuesday afternoon. By the way, um, As great as as Coach Torres is, um, we're going to keep this moving at 6 o'clock when Julio Lopez joins us. Another – one of El Paso's best young football coaches. We've got a ton of great young football coaches in the city of El Paso, don't we?
1: Yeah, we really do. I mean, now that you just say that right there, it's it's really evident across the city. I mean, you just look at some of our uh, district title winners, like with Del Valle and their head coach and Rudy Contreras, uh, just does some exceptional work over there. Uh, you, you're t- we're talking to two district champs right here, and Mark Torres and, and Julio Lopez, younger guys right there. And then you look at guys like Ryan Warner with Chapin, uh, Ray Aguilar junior in el paso i mean there's way too many young coaches to reel off right now but the point is the coaches are getting younger and younger and the quality of, of football is starting to get better across the city
0: i think you said it this you know younger and better talent is what we're getting and not to say the older coaches aren't aren't uh, you know some really good football coaches but we've got we've got a lot of good young blood in this town that are doing really well right now yeah i think so- mark torres is like 40 years old
1: that's right yeah he's he's young I mean and, and the veteran coaches they're still shining look at Darren Walker and what he's doing leading his Franklin Cougars to another playoff appearance and uh, yeah can't forget about Scott Brooks and what he's uh, built at Canyon Tio that Eagles team is is strong they're a district title winner as well so can't forget about that group one other young coach to mention Gary Ricoder who led uh, the Riverside mm. Rangers to a 4A district title
0: that's another good one absolutely so you know even though only three schools are on to the area around that should not uh, downplay just the quality of coaches we have here but it's interesting when you listen to coach torres talk about how disrespected el paso is throughout the rest of texas and how he sees it firsthand just being on the uh, on the committee's
1: that's right, and I, I found that very interesting. Like he's so involved in the Texas Texas wide, uh, you know, coaches committee. Like he was saying, the coaches association. He's also involved in our local nine one five showcase. He's the uh, head coach of I think the Red Storm team. But you know, it's good to have guys like that advocating for El Paso because that's going to help put this city on the map, and it's also going to create more opportunities. And m- maybe it is scheduling the tougher opponents in non district play and and getting outside of El Paso. Maybe that's some of the early solutions that some of these teams can make.
0: Absolutely right. I mean, definitely you want to talk about it with us. We'd love to hear it uh, from you. Our phone number is 505-6009 as we kick it off here on this Tuesday edition of the show. Uh, So much to get to. Um, When we bring Jeff Reuter on the program in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll do a World Cup preview with Jeff. I'm excited about that. And uh, I will uh, look to also bring up the name Diego Luna in conversation since Jeff covers um, MLS for the athletic in addition to his World Cup uh, responsibilities so I definitely want to get his thoughts on the former locomotive uh, young phenom and by the way locomotive in the news today uh, not what you wanted not not uh, the, the kind of news you want to hear where they're looking for a new head coach and technical director for the second time in as many years and that is something Adrian that clearly right now uh, caught a lot of us off guard and I know that Personal issues is the reason why we've been hearing, at least that's the rumor, why John Hutchinson decided to go back to Australia after one season. But I don't think anybody thought, uh, since he inherited a roster that had a lot of guys from Mark Lowry and was going to finally get a chance to bring in the kind of team he was looking for, uh, for the second year in a row, they are signing players that are going to have to play for a coach who will inherit a roster again next season. That is that is not what you want if you are uh, trying to turn your program back to where it was uh, just, uh, you know, a year ago.
1: Yeah, and now I I think there's got to be some scrutiny on this, uh, you know, with this brass and what the leadership is with the Locomotive FC, right? I mean, hey, four straight playoff appearances, that's huge right there, making the postseason, but this last season right here, falling out out of the playoff picture and and still needing to acquire better talent to supplement all those that you lost over this year, that's got to be the number one key, but if you don't know who your head coach and technical director is, that makes this offseason start a little uncertain and and kind of murky right now. So I I think that we're going to have to see a lot of things happen quickly for this organization and for all the players out there. It's kind of like waiting in limbo right now, right?
0: How do you build a roster and then expect the head coach and technical director to come in and and just suddenly coach that type of team that he was not responsible for building?
1: It's kind of like the same thing all over again right here in John Hutchinson. It's
0: exactly the same thing. 100% agree with you.
1: Yeah, and if you have a new coach coming in with players that that have been there right there, there's a little sense of things like entitlement, you know, promises that may have been made with uh, certain players to get them here versus, you know, building it with players that you know. So I kind of feel like they should go the the reverse order. They need to prioritize hiring this coach. I know they've launched the search right now internationally, but uh, the coach has to be hired before you can continue to go out and recruit and sign players.
0: Unless they've already signed a bunch, they're announcing them over the next few weeks, and they've locked in, let's say, 15 or 20 on the roster, and, and And, and, you know, the only thing that you're waiting for is the official announcement. I don't know. Agent, this is a tough spot. Whoever inherits this job is going to be in the exact same situation Hutch was in one year ago.
1: That's right. And I, I get it. Like for the people who are frustrated right now, the timing of this is not good. I, no. I mean, not at all. Because you would have liked to hear this a month ago, as soon as the season ended. A hundred percent. And I get it. Like I, I wanna humanize this this story right here because if there's family issues that are going on and he's going back home to Australia, I understand that. That just the timing of this is is not practical one bit.
0: Chances are this though, if they were never really if, if the family wasn't comfortable and felt like they, they were just, El Paso wasn't it for them, they wanted to go back to Australia, like you said, why not make this decision during the season so as soon as the year is over you can announce that you're going to part ways with the club? Why would you possibly put yourself in a spot, you know, a month after the, the season is over or six weeks after the season is over as you've already started your off-season activities to to, to uh to decide this now it's it's a the timing on this is just it's just not good there's no way you can spin this as a positive
1: yeah, for general manager Andrew Forrest, they've got to act quickly. I, I said this early. I'll say I'll say it again. This has got to be a fast process, right there. I know you want to be diligent in who you bring into the locomotive FC, and I know that also the next coach that you want here, you want him to be here for the foreseeable future. You know, yep. you don't want to be a, have another one and done year. That's something nobody wants, right there. How do you build continuity if you have a
0: turnover within your coaching staff? Thirty-two passed. As we continue here on Sports Talk, we'll discuss what went down last night. The last unbeaten falls in the NFL, and the 72 Dolphins can crack open that bottle of champagne again and toast the perfect season that will remain intact for yet another season. All that and more as sports talk continues. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Yeah, it was a busy, busy day. For the Green Bay Packers, let's put it this way. Uh, when you really look at what happened with Green Bay, um, you, you had to get rid of Amari Rodgers. You just have to. I mean, so many fumbles. That is, his whole career is, is, is essentially a giant fumble uh, on special teams. Never became a favorite receiver target for Aaron Rodgers and could not hang on to the football in the return game. Hard to keep your job when that is pretty much what your reputation is all about.
1: Yeah, I don't know what where they go as far as this punt returner spot that's now vacant right now. I agree with you. The, the fumbles. I mean, after three, it's kind of like yeesh. You, you know, come on, Amari Rogers, what's going on here? And, and maybe think about uh, switching over that position to somebody else. But I, I think maybe you you even look at somebody who emerged over this past game. Maybe give them some more confidence, and that's Christian Watts, uh, Watson, uh, who I liked a lot from this past game. I thought that. Those those touchdowns that he had, those three uh, as a rookie, that's that's exceptional right there. Maybe he could give you a spark as a punt returner. I don't even know if he's ever played that
0: position before. I don't know. As far as punt returners on the list, uh, Romeo Dobbs is listed. Uh, as well as uh, Keyshawn Nixon, he seems to be the Keyshawn Nixon seems to be the one guy. He is a defensive back, cornerback, who right now could be the guy, at least for the time being, as Watson was released.
1: Yeah, patch that up right now, especially since all these turnovers have happened.
0: Let's talk about what happened last night with the Eagles and the Commanders. Uh, this was a game that nobody really expected. They didn't think it would go down the way it did. Thirty-two, thirty-one, the final score. Um, i 21 sorry, thirty-two, twenty-one. Was the final score. But the story here is uh, when Philly cut it to two after that Devontae Smith 11-yard touchdown pass early in the fourth quarter, what happened? Washington came back and uh, Joey Sly had that 55-yard field goal. And then the big fumble return uh, for a touchdown sealed it for Washington. Too many mistakes for Philadelphia. There's just no other way to put it.
1: Yeah, when you shut down the run game, then they start to become a little one-dimensional. And I want to say that maybe going into all of this, Philly showed us that they were uh, a run-oriented offense. So what Washington did yesterday was maybe lay the, the blueprint on how to beat this Eagles team. I think you have to stuff the run. They had under 100 rushing yards yesterday, even though they kept trying to hammer it with guys like Miles Sanders and, of course, Jalen Hurts. But passing game just did not get going. Commanders did a great job defensively. And now you have to look at Terry. Taylor Heineke as a serious replacement for Carson Wentz, who's designated for return this next uh, this next week. If I was the Commanders right now, who are five and five, still very much in the mix for the uh, playoffs in the NFC, I- I'd probably roll with Heineke right now. You
0: have to play. You have to play Heineke. You cannot bench him right now. And you want to know something? He threw an awful pass that C.J. Gardner Johnson picked off. It was a terrible decision and as ill advised a throw as you're going to see. And he'll give you that. He will. But you know what? So will Carson Wentz. The only difference is Taylor Heineke wins football games. And that's what it comes down to. And the truth is this team feeds off of Heineke more than they ever did with Carson Wentz. Uh, you could just tell with when you watch McLaurin and how good he is. They are in sync. They really are. Uh, Heineke and McLaurin are terrific. The running game was good with Robinson and Gibson before he got hurt. And the defense was tough last night. That commander's defense, man. And remember, Young's still out, and they're still getting it done.
1: Right, they're getting him this week, thankfully, uh, finally off that ACL injury. And uh, imagine adding Chase Young to this already stacked defense is, is what we're seeing right now. And I'm calling it stacked. Like, Look at De'Aaron Payne. He's playing like an all-pro guy right now on defense. And I loved what they've done ever since they've used Taylor Heineke, a quarterback. And I, I think you have to take the bad with the good with him. And just like you were saying, he's going to throw that inter- interception. He's going to have a turnover in, in most games. Look at that game against the Packers. No one thought that they could rally back after he threw an interception. I think it was for a touchdown in that game. And then they rallied back and win 23-21. Their only loss with Taylor Heineke through this stretch has been a 20-17 to loss to the Vikings.
0: I know it. Ron Rivera was emotional in the locker room after the win. Let's hear from the head coach of the Commanders.
2: My mother would have been prepped.
1: You can see how much that means to him. It means a lot to everybody in this locker room, bro. We set the damn tone. We took it to them. Come on, man. Already, Family on three. One, two, three.
0: Terry McLaughlin is the leader of this team, by the way. When you when you watch just uh what McLaurin is like. Um, Terry McLaurin has 737 yards and a pair of touchdowns, but he's the guy that this team gravitates to. They just do, and you know, he was the one that went in relief after uh, Ron Rivera couldn't speak and uh, kept everybody together. You just see what he means to this club, and I'm telling you right now, I don't see how Carson Wentz gets his job back unless something happens to Heineke.
1: Yeah, and if you look at their offense, they're kind of sneaky talented, right? You, you mentioned Gibson earlier, but they also still have Brian Robinson Jr., who's emerged The the player who was shot earlier this year and somehow is back. He was literally shot, and he's still playing football right now, rushed for 86 yards and a touchdown last night. Uh, But uh, Terry McLaurin mentoring some of these younger receivers. Look at like Jahan Dotson, who was uh, their first-round choice from this past draft. Uh, He's a stud, and and I like this Commanders team the way
0: that they're built. I'll tell you something right now, if the season ended today, they'd almost be a wild-card team. That's just how, A, that's how bad the NFC is. And right now, at a 5-5 five and five record, the the, the entire NFC East could end up going to the playoffs.
1: And that could end up being the case, right, Steve? I mean, like, uh, I, I look at the NFC. Who's going to go in if it's not them? The Packers, if they rally back, maybe. 49 I mean, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's either the Seahawks or I, I think the 49ers could still take that division right there. If it's the Seahawks right there who maybe uh, lead the charge, maybe the Falcons get some light wins on the year. I just feel like the NFC East has uh, the road. The roadmap is there. We could see the roadmap for four teams making it out of the NFC East, as, as bizarre as that sounds.
0: 19 in front of five as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Our phone is open, 505 20 minutes from now, we'll talk World Cup soccer with Jeff Reuter from The Athletic. Looking forward to hearing from you as we continue right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. 49 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk, 505-6009. That is our telephone number. It'll get you right on in and through to the program. Would love to hear from you. Anything we talk about, this is the time to get in. There are no more undefeated teams left in the NFL. Philly had a golden chance to capitalize on the Cowboys' second loss this season. Um, or third loss, I should say, this season. Oh, no, second loss. They're 7-2. and two. Uh, And the Eagles didn't do it. They lost. They're 8-1. and one. Cowboys are still only one game back of Philadelphia hard to uh, hard to fathom more than anything else and it's still really hard to wrap your head around Philadelphia losing at home to Washington isn't it
1: Yes, it is. Just knowing that uh, this team has been so inconsistent, uh, the, the Washington Commanders have, and uh, I, I guess it's just, in. I mean, it sounds really cliche, but anybody can beat anybody in the NFC East. This is a very competitive division. It seems like all these coaches know each other. They know what, what's ahead of, of them, and I mean, look at the Cowboys' schedule. They've got the Vikings coming up next, and then the Giants. That's a hard way to close out the month of November, uh, you know, for the Cowboys.
0: really is, and um, you know, if you're Phil- Philadelphia you start to look at okay they just lost a game that nobody expected them to lose how about from here on out uh, they have, they've got to play the Colts on the road this weekend that will not be easy after what Jeff Saturday just did with his team uh, a week ago and maybe get some fired up and, and who knows re-energizes the Indianapolis Colts then they got to go play the Packers who just won this week and um, you know again we thought Philly had a chance to get through everybody this season, pretty much unscathed. Now I don't know anymore.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I think they've just—they ha- really have to rectify the problems that they showed yesterday on offense. And if other teams adjust to stopping that run immediately as soon as the game starts, then it's up to Jalen Hurts to uh, combat that. He's got to be better in the passing game. He's got to use his receivers a lot more. And they've got to figure something out because, uh, yeah, what was what we saw yesterday is the blueprint maybe uh, out on this team
0: i agree with you um alexa just tweeted in nice song she liked the motley crew girls 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 uh you haven't played that in a while have No, you? i
1: haven't i haven't played a lot of crew in a while so yeah i gotta get them back in the rotation
0: we have a huge huge crew library in nice. this uh, in this radio station good okay and Sweet. Um, maybe you could play some early stuff too i mean although a little shout at the devil there you go that's i've been telling you uh I was even thinking uh, too late for love. There's a, there's a bunch of uh, there's there's a bunch okay. of good ones. There's, there's some there's some good stuff. Old, I like old. I mean, listen, Motley Crue is fun. We got to get them back to El Paso. I'm I'm hoping. Maybe uh, sometime next year we'll get them in El Paso. Wow! Kind of like one of those big stadium shows, like we've had uh, in the past with Guns N' Roses. And have you seen? I- I've seen Motley Crue live no, twice. I've
1: never seen them live. I heard they're amazing. I was I was going to see them, or it was just the main guy, uh, the singer, who's Vince Neil. Yeah, Vince Neil. He was coming solo a couple Please. years ago.
0: I saw Motley Crue fifteen years ago at their farewell tour. That's it was hilarious. Oh like, my gosh. Farewell tour, <laughs> like fifteen years ago. Yeah, there are certain bands that you just know, even if they call it a farewell tour, they're coming back. Right. Yeah. That and that was and and that's pretty much one of those uh, one of those bands.
1: Yeah, newer band, but Blink One Eighty Two, they call it quits a couple different times, and uh,
0: they're back at it. Yeah, I know. It's just you know what it is. It's hard for bands to stop touring when the kind of money that comes in is just thrown at those at, at some of these, uh, these bands. I mean, especially, you know, the hall of fame acts. How do you, I mean, how do you quit? When you know that you know a big tour can 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 just give you uh, more more money than you even know what to do with.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like, hey, uh, your your kids kind of they need to go to college. Let's let's uh, pay for tuition off this tour right here. <laughs> so stuff like that. But I, I mean I've read articles like that with some of these uh, artists who've uh, decided to go back in the mix, and I don't blame them. I mean the money's great. Why why not go back at it?
0: Hundred percent right. Just found out Terry Francona is the Ale Manager of the Year. How about that? So uh, the Guardians manager ends up winning AL Manager of the Year this season.
1: Wow, that's so, that's so fascinating to me. I know how great of a surge they had at the end of the season. And, uh, you know, I just I, I look at Dusty Baker. I mean, what a job. Yeah. You, he had just excellence with that squad. Now we're starting to give that award to, like, underdog coaches. We see it in a lot of different sports. But we're starting to give that award not necessarily to the top coach, but maybe, like, the underdog coach.
0: Good point. All right, when we come back, we're going to switch it up. We'll do a little World Cup preview with Jeff Reuter from The Athletic. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN Piano pass. So. It's the start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody, along with Adrian Bratis. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Very happy we get uh, Jeff Reuter back with us to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the World Cup from Qatar. It's right around the corner starting this weekend, and uh, a lot of uh, U.S. soccer fans pretty excited about this. Jeff, the last time we had you on the show, we were talking USL. Uh, only appropriate that you move now to the U.S. men's national team coverage for the athletic and get to be part of... Uh uh, the largest uh, tournament uh, in the world.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's been an incredible um, run up to this tournament over at the Athletic. Uh, we've we've got a lot of writers uh, and editors who are going to be out in Qatar, in Doha, and other areas covering the tournament in stadiums. We've got a whole host of writers in the UK and elsewhere in Europe who are taking in the scenes and uh, you know kind of getting the feel for uh, you know local pride and all of that. And then of course we've got uh people like myself here in the united states who are also shoring up the stateside coverage so um it, there's there's a lot going on uh, i have to say i'm impressed um by how much the publication is putting behind covering this world cup and doing it in a way that truly feels global and not just you know kind of the american optics and um you know americans turning other countries into sideshows and all that thing like that so um really really cool to be a part of it and uh yeah, who needs
0: sleep? <laughs> that's exactly why well, sleep is overrated, right? And you can you can right. sleep when the World Cup is over. So there you go.
3: Yeah, that's. Uh, I would love to do that. Coming right off of the MLS Cup. Uh, coverage all the way directly into the World Cup has been a gauntlet. But, man, it's uh, it's why we do it, right? So, I believe it.
0: I believe it. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of MLS and the MLS Cup, uh, I've seen nothing but positives about a former locomotive uh, youngster Diego Luna. And after his first season out there in Salt Lake, what they're expecting from him in the future, it seems like, man, sky's the limit with him.
3: Yeah, it it really is, and I think that you know it, it's a credit to RSL's staff for for doing what I think the, just about any MLS team should have done and given him a look at that MLS level. Um, I think it always seen as inevitable between his ability uh, that he showcased at the Barca academy under Mark Lowry in El Paso as well, and then you know of course uh, the U.S. youth national teams at the same point. So um, you know, very talented player. RSL is a team that is known to be very good at giving young um, domestic So I'm going to include Mexican players as well, Uh, just North American young players, opportunities, Um, players from CONCACAF who would otherwise be overlooked and then maybe kind of passed over for a richer European or South American option on other MLS teams. I think Luna's in a really, really good system um, to be able to do that. Pablo Mastorani is a coach who really likes what he brings and does need that sort of flair and creativity in his roster, Um, doesn't have it in spades necessarily yet. Um, But I think Diego Luna is in a very, very good place to break out in his first full MLS campaign in 2023.
0: You know, I'm so interested to see if in four years when the uh, World Cup, uh, we're talking about that again, if Luna is in the conversation for the uh, main roster for the U.S. men's national team.
3: Yeah, I mean, anything possible. And I think that if you look at what he does well, it is something that... I'm not saying that he was necessarily a snub for this World Cup, and I don't think anyone would, just given his age and given how much more he needs to have in his development. I think that his skill set is something that the U.S. is really going to need uh, going into that next World Cup. I think that they'll want more players who are able to you know, create on their own and not be so beholden to movements in a system, and then players who are going to be able to kind of take over moments of a game, game changers, if you will. Um, and that's something that he does well. Uh, I think that if you look at the current roster, I mean, Christian Pulis- a lot of them will be back, right? Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Tim Wea, Brendan Aronson, if you're looking at that attacking midfield line. But I think that Luna does bring something different. I do think that he does possess um, just uh, some some footwork, some ability on the ball that I think more players in this pool could use. And so, yeah, I don't think that it's a stretch to say that he could be in consideration in 2026 assuming that his career goes the way it's already started. Uh,
0: six weeks ago, you wrote a story for the Athletic, uh, the Fan Confidence Index, and as you put it, dismal pre-World Cup window magnifies worries. Now that the roster has been released and we're getting started this weekend, do you feel like the same way for fans, even worse, or have things improved a little bit with maybe uh, you know a little optimism as far as how the U.S. will, will fare?
3: Yeah, I, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily optimism that I'm seeing as much as people, um, you know, adopting that goldfish memory span. Um, and, and I think that you really need to, because those friendlies before a World Cup, everyone is desperately trying to make their case to make that roster, right? Nobody's guaranteed a place yet in September. Um, roster didn't drop to last week. So I think that there were a lot of nerves. Um, I think that playing on neutral site venues when you're facing a team, in this case, Saudi Arabia and Japan, Um, in games, in empty stadiums, essentially in Germany and Spain, it's going to be very difficult for players to get up for it as well, especially compared to the bright lights of a World Cup stage. So I I think that Uh, You know, there there is a lot of people who are assuming that the bigger moment will be great for these younger players who have been chasing big moments in their entire young careers to date. I think that Greg Berhalter showed a necessary dose of pragmatism with his roster, bringing in older players who aren't going to be thinking, "Okay, well, I've got two or three World Cups left in me after this one. So we'll use this as a learning experience and go from there. But there's going to be a little bit more veteran uh, knowledge and urgency, I think, to be able to, you know, stay reserved, stay focused on the task at hand and, Really make it out of group B and, and give a good run for it in the round of 16th. So I, I think that between the roster and the feeling around the team, optimism is higher, but I don't know if it's necessarily because um, fans have forgotten how they felt in September. I, I think that there are a couple of things that have changed and evolved, uh, which do give at least me personally, um, as both a journalist covering the program and also a lifelong fan of the men's and women's national teams, um, you know, a little bit more optimism about their chances in group B.
0: Jeff, do you like the roster as a whole, despite some of the snubs that were made public last week when it was officially announced? Do you, do you feel like this is the U.S.'s best shot at, at trying to advance?
3: Yeah, uh, I, I understand. I, I think that the biggest nub, and this isn't just pandering, the biggest nub was Ricardo Pepe. Um, <laughs> I think that if you look at what he possesses, if you look at what he was able to show in qualifying, and if you look at his form at Groningen over in Holland, I think that he showed that he was in a good enough vein of form to uh, re-emerge. Um, now he's still young. He's got plenty of time. He's only 19. I would imagine that he will be seen as that kind of preeminent number nine, that top striker for the next qualifying cycle before the United World Cup in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, but I think that beyond that, you know, there's some questions about if Haji Wright's ready for that moment. There's questions of Jesus Ferreira finished the season strong enough and has shown enough at the international level. There are questions of Josh Sargent. Uh, is right to reinclude after you know finally breaking out in the second division England league, um, but beyond that, you know I, I really like the construction of the midfield. It's good that Luka Tor is able to come back because he is able to do some facilitating work that only Yunus Musa can in the midfield. So it's good to have an alternative. The wingers are all healthy. Um, center back was always going to be a question, but I think having Tim Ream among that four-man depth chart is good. I think that he has earned that spot over a career's worth of work and certainly his form at Fulham this year. So I personally didn't really have any problems with that roster. I expected to have more problems with it, but I think it's that perfect balance between players who live for the big moment at a young age and veteran players who are going to see this as the highlight of their career and really savor every moment. And I think that you need a blend of that. And that's a piece that's going to be coming up on the athletic from me either tomorrow or the following day. Um, That is something that you need in a tournament like a world cup.
0: Jeff Reuter with us. He covers uh, the World Cup for the Athletic uh, as well as MLS, and he's with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. If you had to look right now at the biggest question mark facing the U.S. going into this weekend, uh, what is it?
3: Striker. It's still the striker position, I think, and, and unfortunately, so um, you know, there's a lot of talented center forwards in this pool. Pepe, we talked about Ferreras, Argent, Wright are on the roster. Jordan Peefock is another one. Vasquez is another one. But all of them struggled to either replicate onto the national team level or show why they needed to be tested in the international game. And I, I think that the reality of it is you don't have a Brian McBride figure that you just trust can be up leading the line, do some holdup work, score off of set pieces and score great diving headers and really you know, uh, give this team a chance in the finer margins. You don't have an Eric Quinalda. You don't have an Ernie Stewart. You don't have a Landon Donovan or a Clint Dempsey even. So goal scoring is going to be, uh, you know, on paper, it really looks like it could be a struggle. It really does. Um, and I think that that's going to put more pressure on Christian Pulisic. It's going to put more pressure on Timothy Weah and Brendan Aronson as sort of those next line attackers along those four, three, three on the wing uh, who are going to be able to finish some chances. But if the strikers perform the way that they did, except for Ricardo Pepe in those two games in qualifying, the U.S. could really, really struggle to get out of the group, especially given how unsettled the center-back depth chart is going into the tournament.
0: Speaking of the group, do you feel like the U.S. has a better draw in Group B or Mexico has a better draw in Group C? Uh,
3: That's a great question. I think that's actually a great way to frame it, too. Um, I, I think that with the U.S., uh, the question is going to be those finer margins i think wales is going to come in with a lot of emotion um i think that iran's also going to come in with a lot of emotion for very different reasons uh, there's more political and, and wales more for you know generations which hadn't been in that tournament and i think wales is going to be more focused on england so i think that you know the us it's a tough draw it is you know in terms of rankings a more difficult group but when i look at the the task that mexico has in group c and you've not only got an argentine team that is This is, let's be honest, it's Messi's last World Cup, Lionel Messi's last World Cup, but it's also their best chance to win a World Cup since Messi broke through in 2006, given the overall talent on the roster, especially in defense. Um, They're going to be in a position where they will expect to not just get out of the group, but win the group and really thrive in those matches against Mexico and Poland. Poland has one of the best strikers in the world, and Robert Lewandowski, are they going to be able to neutralize him? They struggled. Are they going to be able to score goals? They've struggled for a long time. Um, I think that Just given how the teams are playing, I know that Saudi Arabia is going to be the weakest of the eight teams in groups B and C on paper anyway. But I do think that overall, just given factors on those finer margins, which is always how group stages are decided, I think that the U.S. should feel a little bit better about the task at hand than Mexico does.
0: Funny, because the biggest, I guess, story-making shockwave through the entire soccer world involves Portugal and Group H and an interview that Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> just gave to Pierce Morgan and, and the fallout right now uh, with Manchester United and everything happened right now in the uh, EPL.
3: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think it's hard because I, I think there, is, there are moments where you see a player for who they really are, right? And, and you would suspect that a player like Cristiano Ronaldo should know better. Um, Vlatan Ibrahimović, for all of his pomp and circumstance, for all of his arrogance, at the end of the day, if he was with Sweden, he put it aside for Sweden. Whatever club he was with, from the LA Galaxy to AC Milan to FC Barcelona, he would put certain parts of his persona aside for the good of the team. And for whatever reason, Cristiano Ronaldo is not capable of recognizing that moment, both for a club which is finally turning a corner under Eric Ten Hag in the Premier League and, and finally starting to look like they're back on track uh, after they've been lost in the soccer wilderness since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Um, but you also have Portugal coming into this tournament, being in a very tough group against you know a Ghanaian side that is the lowest-ranking qualifier on paper. But South Korea is going to like their chances. They're going to hope that Jung Min-Sung is back and healthy and able to get out of the group. Uruguay is never an easy team to face in a World Cup, the first champions in World Cup history in 1930. So uh, there's some difficulties, right? And And now that whole camp, for portugal is a sideshow because everyone's going to be focused on manchester united his own teammate bruno fernandez is on the same roster as him for portugal how is that dynamic going to work it just it, it's it's a ludicrously timed little gimmick from him it's a ridiculous thing for him just the amount of what he said is truly shocking for a player of his caliber and a celebrity of his stature um And I have a really, really hard time seeing how that's going to benefit Portugal whatsoever in this tournament. And I think that it's going to linger on into the new year for Manchester United.
0: If you want to read more about it, great coverage in The Athletic, especially under the World Cup section. But I have to promote this because Jeff touched on it at the beginning of the uh, article about how much uh, just everybody and their team has been really covering this. You've got uh, the 32-team guide section, which I absolutely love because you break it down uh, about as good as you're going to find anywhere. You go through the managers to the strengths and weaknesses, potential breakthroughs, Uh, I mean, really – Everything you want to know about the World Cup is packed inside these team previews, Jeff.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've, I've been catching up on the last of those today, actually, funny enough. Um, and it's, it's just exciting. I mean, we've got dozens and dozens of us who are, who are really locked in on this tournament in particular right now and, and trying to give coverage that the, you know, the quality of the tournament, you know, you can question where it's being held. You can question why it's held there in the first place. But if you're looking at the scale of the soccer being played, Um, you know, I I really think that we're going to be able to do that coverage justice. So looking forward to it.
0: Terrific stuff. Hey, we've enjoyed it as always. Appreciate the time and uh, look forward to the next time we get to chat uh, back here on Sports Talk, Jeff. Absolutely. You take care. You too. Jeff Ruder, folks, from The Athletic as we keep things moving with Charlie One, Let's get another traffic update as uh, we continue here at 600 ESPN El Paso. It's the start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody, along with Adrian Broaddus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Very happy we get uh, Jeff Ruder back with us to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the World Cup from Qatar. It's right around the corner starting this weekend, and uh, a lot of uh, U.S. soccer fans pretty excited about this. Jeff, the last time we had you on the show, we were talking USL. Uh, Only appropriate that you move now to the U.S. men's national team coverage for the athletic and get to be part of... uh, the largest uh, tournament uh, in the world yeah it's uh, it's been an
3: incredible um, run-up to this tournament over at the athletic uh, we've, we've got a lot of writers uh, and editors who are going to be out in Qatar in Doha and other areas covering the tournament in stadiums we've got a whole host of writers in the UK and elsewhere in Europe who are taking in the scenes and uh, you know kind of getting the feel for uh, you know local pride and all of that and then of course we've got uh people like myself here in the united states who are also shoring up the stateside coverage so um it, there's there's a lot going on uh, i have to say i'm impressed um by how much the publication is putting behind covering this world cup and doing it in a way that truly feels global and not just you know kind of the american optics and um you know americans turning other countries into sideshows and all that thing like that so um really really cool to be a part of it and uh yeah, who needs
0: sleep? <laughs> that's exactly why well, sleep is overrated, right? And you can you can right. sleep when the World Cup is over. So there you go. Yeah,
3: that's uh, I would love to do that. Coming right off of the MLS Cup. Uh, coverage all the way directly into the World Cup has been a gauntlet. But, man, it's uh, it's why we do it, right? So, I believe it.
0: I believe it. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of MLS and the MLS Cup, uh, I've seen nothing but positives about a former locomotive uh, youngster Diego Luna. And after his first season out there in Salt Lake, what they're expecting from him in the future, it seems like, man, sky's the limit with him.
3: Yeah, it it really is. And I think that, you know, it, it's a credit to RSL's staff for, for doing what I think just about any MLS team should have done and given him a look at that MLS level. Um, I think it always was seen as inevitable between his ability uh, that he showcased at the Barca Academy under Mark Lowry in El Paso as well. And then, you know, of course, uh, the U.S. youth national teams at the same point. So, um, you know, very talented player. RSL is a team that is known to be very good at giving young um, domestic. So I'm going to include Mexican players as well, Sure, Uh, just North American young players, opportunities, Um, players from CONCACAF who would otherwise be overlooked and then maybe kind of passed over for a richer European or South American option on other MLS teams. I think Luna's in a really, really good system um, to be able to do that. Pablo Mastroianni is a coach who really likes what he brings and does need that sort of flair and creativity in his roster, Um, doesn't have it in spades necessarily yet. Um, But I think Diego Luna is in a very, very good place to break out in his first full MLS campaign in 2023.
0: You know, I'm so interested to see if in four years when the uh, World Cup, uh, we're talking about that again, if Luna is in the conversation for the uh, main roster for the U.S. men's national team.
3: Yeah, I mean, anything possible. And I think that if you look at what he does well, it is something that... I'm not saying that he was necessarily a snub for this World Cup, and I don't think anyone would, just given his age and given how much more he needs to have in his development. I think that his skill set is something that the U.S. is really going to need uh, going into that next World Cup. I think that they'll want more players who are able to you know, create on their own and not be so beholden to movements in a system, and then players who are going to be able to kind of take over moments of a game, game changers, if you will. Um, and that's something that he does well. Uh, I think that if you look at the current roster, I mean, Christian Pulisic, a lot of them will be back, right? Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Tim Wea, Brendan Aronson, if you're looking at that attacking midfield line. But I think that Luna does bring something different. I do think that he does possess um, just uh, some some footwork, some ability on the ball that I think more players in this pool could use. And so, yeah, I don't think that it's a stretch to say that he could be in consideration in 2026, assuming that his career goes the way it's already started.
0: Uh, six weeks ago, you wrote a story for the Athletic, uh, the Fan Confidence Index, and as you put it, dismal pre-World Cup window magnifies worries. Now that the roster has been released and we're getting started this weekend, do you feel like the same way for fans, even worse, or have things improved a little bit with maybe uh, you know a little optimism as far as how the U.S. will, will fare?
3: Yeah, I I, I don't even know if it's necessarily optimism that I'm seeing as much as people, um, you know, adopting that goldfish memory span. Um, And and I think that you really need to because those friendlies before a World Cup, everyone is desperately trying to make their case to make that roster, right? Nobody's guaranteed a place yet in September. Um, Roster didn't drop till last week. So I think that there were a lot of nerves. Um, I think that playing on neutral site venues when you're facing a team, in this case, Saudi Arabia and Japan, Um, in games, in empty stadiums, essentially in Germany and Spain, it's going to be very difficult for players to get up for it as well, especially compared to the bright lights of a World Cup stage. So I I think that uh, you know, there, there is a lot of people who are assuming that the bigger moment will be great for these younger players who have been chasing big moments in their entire young careers to date. I think that Greg Burhalter showed a necessary dose of pragmatism with his roster, bringing in older players who aren't going to be thinking, OK, well, I've got two or three World Cups left in me after this one. So we'll use this as a learning experience and go from there. But there's going to be a little bit more veteran uh, knowledge and urgency, I think, to be able to, you know, stay reserved, stay focused on the task at hand and, truly make it out of group B and, and give a good run for it in the round of 16. So I, I think that between the roster and the feeling around the team, optimism is higher, but I don't know if it's necessarily because um, fans have forgotten how they felt in September. I think that there are a couple of things that have changed and evolved, uh, which do give at least me personally, um, as both the journalist covering the program and also a lifelong fan of the men's and women's national teams, um, you know, a little bit more optimism about their chances in group B.
0: Jeff, do you like the roster as a whole, despite some of the snubs that were made public last week when it was officially announced? Do you you feel like this is the U.S.'s best shot at at trying to advance?
3: Yeah, uh, I I understand. I I think that the biggest nub, and this isn't just pandering, the biggest nub was Ricardo Pepe. Um, (laughs) I think that if you look at what he possesses, if you look at what he was able to show in qualifying, and if you look at his form at Groningen over in Holland – I think that he showed that he was in a good enough vein of form to uh, re-emerge. Um, now he's still young. He's got plenty of time. He's only 19. I would imagine that he will be seen as that kind of preeminent number nine, that top striker for the next qualifying cycle before the United World Cup in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, but I think that beyond that, you know, there's some questions about if Haji Wright's ready for that moment. There's questions of Jesus Ferreira finished the season strong enough and has shown enough at the international level. There are questions of Josh Sargent. Uh, is right to re-include after you know finally breaking out in a second division England league, um, but beyond that, you know I, I really like the construction of the midfield. It's good that Luka Tor is able to come back because he is able to do some facilitating work that only Yunus Musa can in the midfield. So it's good to have an alternative. The wingers are all healthy. Um, center back was always going to be a question, but I think having Tim Ream among that four-man depth chart is good. I think that he has earned that spot over a career's worth of work and certainly his form at fulham this year so i personally didn't really have any problems with that roster i expected to have more problems with it but i think it's that perfect balance between players who live for the big moment at a young age and veteran players who are going to see this as the highlight of their career and really savor every moment and i think that you need a blend of that and that's a piece that's going to be coming up on the athletic from me either tomorrow or the following day um that is something that you need in a tournament like a world cup
0: Jeff Ruder with us. He covers uh, the World Cup for the Athletic uh, as well as MLS, and he's with us here on Sports Talk as we continue. If you had to look right now at the biggest question mark facing the U.S. going into this weekend, uh, what is it?
3: Striker. It's still the striker position, I think, and, and unfortunately, so um, you know, there's a lot of talented center forwards in this pool. Pepe, we talked about Ferreira, Argent, Wright are on the roster. Jordan Peefock is another one. Vasquez is another one. But all of them struggled to either replicate onto the national team level or show why they needed to be tested in the international game. And I, I think that the reality of it is you don't have a Brian McBride figure that you just trust can be up leading the line, do some holdup work, score off of set pieces and score great diving headers and really you know, uh, give this team a chance in the finer margins. You don't have an Eric Winalda. You don't have an Ernie Stewart. You don't have a Landon Donovan or a Clint Dempsey even. So goal scoring is going to be, uh, you know, on paper, it really looks like it could be a struggle. It really does. Um, And I think that that's going to put more pressure on Christian Pulisic. It's going to put more pressure on Timothy Weah and Brendan Aronson as sort of those next line attackers along those 4-3-3 on the wing uh, who are going to be able to finish some chances. But, if the Strikers performed the way that they did, except for Ricardo Pepe in those two games in qualifying, the U.S. could really, really struggle to get out of the group, especially given how unsettled the center-back depth chart is going into the tournament.
0: Speaking of the group, do you feel like the U.S. has a better draw in Group B or Mexico has a better draw in Group C?
3: Uh, That's a great question. I think that's actually a great way to frame it, too. Um, I, I think that with the U.S., uh, the question is going to be those finer margins. I think Wales is going to come in with a lot of emotion. Um, I think that Iran is also going to come in with a lot of emotion for very different reasons. Uh, there's more political, and, and Wales more for you know generations which hadn't been in that tournament. And I think Wales is going to be more focused on England. So I think that you know the U.S. It's a tough draw. It is you know in terms of rankings a more difficult group. But when I look at the the task that Mexico has in Group C, and you've not only got an Argentine team that is this is, let's be honest, it's Messi's last World Cup, Lionel Messi's last World Cup, but it's also their best chance to win a World Cup since Messi broke through in 2006, given the overall talent on the roster, especially in defense. Um, They're going to be in a position where they will expect to not just get out of the group, but win the group and really thrive in those matches against Mexico and Poland. Poland has one of the best strikers in the world, and Robert Lewandowski, are they going to be able to neutralize him? They struggled. Are they going to be able to score goals? They've struggled for a long time. Um, I think that Just given how the teams are playing, I know that Saudi Arabia is going to be the weakest of the eight teams in groups D and C on paper anyway, but I do think that overall, just given factors on those finer margins, which is always how group stages are decided, I think that the U.S. should feel a little bit better about the task at hand than Mexico does.
0: Funny because the biggest, I guess, story-making shockwaves through the entire soccer world involves Portugal and Group H and an interview that Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo just gave to Pierce Morgan and, and the fallout right now uh, with Manchester United and everything happened right now in the uh, EPL.
3: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think it's hard because I, I think there, is, there are moments where you see a player for who they really are, right? And, and you would suspect that a player like Cristiano Ronaldo should know better, Um, Vlatan Ibrahimović, for all of his pomp and circumstance, for all of his arrogance, at the end of the day, if he was with Sweden, he put it aside for Sweden. Whatever club he was with, from the LA Galaxy to AC Milan to FC Barcelona, he would put certain parts of his persona aside for the good of the team. And for whatever reason, Cristiano Ronaldo is not capable of recognizing that moment, both for a club which is finally turning a corner under Eric Ten Hag in the Premier League and, and finally starting to look like they're back on track uh, after they've been lost in the soccer wilderness since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. Um, but you also have Portugal coming into this tournament, being in a very tough group against you know a Ghanaian side that is the lowest-ranking qualifier on paper. But South Korea is going to like their chances. They're going to hope that Jung Min-Sung is back and healthy and able to get out of the group. Uruguay is never an easy team to face in a World Cup, first champions in World Cup history in 1930. So uh, there's some difficulties, right? And And now that whole camp, for Portugal is a sideshow because everyone's going to be focused on Manchester United. His own teammate, Bruno Fernandes is on the same roster as him for Portugal. How is that dynamic going to work? It just, it's, it's a ludicrously timed little gimmick from him. It's a ridiculous thing for him. Just the amount of what he said is truly shocking for a player of his caliber and a celebrity of his stature. Um, And I have a really, really hard time seeing how that's going to benefit Portugal whatsoever in this tournament. And I think that it's going to linger on into the new year for Manchester United.
0: If you want to read more about it, great coverage in The Athletic, especially under the World Cup section, but I have to promote this because Jeff touched on it at the beginning of the uh, article about how much uh, just everybody and their team has been really covering this. You've got uh, the 32-team guide section, which I absolutely love because you break it down uh, about as good as you're going to find anywhere. You go through the managers to the strengths and weaknesses, potential breakthroughs, Uh, I mean, really – Everything you want to know about the World Cup is packed inside these team previews, Jeff.
3: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I've, I've been catching up on the last of those today. Actually, funny enough, um, and it's it's just exciting. I mean, we've got dozens and dozens of us who are who are really locked in on this tournament in particular right now, and and trying to give coverage that the you know the quality of the tournament. You know, you can question where it's being held, you can question why it's held there in the first place, but if you're looking at the scale of the soccer being played. Um, you know, I I really think that we're going to be able to do that coverage justice. So, looking forward to it.
0: Terrific stuff. Hey, we've enjoyed it as always. Appreciate the time and uh, look forward to the next time we get to chat uh, back here on Sports Talk, Jeff.
3: Absolutely. You take
0: care. You too. Jeff Ruder, folks, from The Athletic, as we keep things moving with Charlie. One, let's get another traffic update as uh, we continue here at 600 ESPN El Paso. Now he's not doing a USL anymore. He's on MLS. But uh, Jeff Reuter is very much a big part of World Cup 2022 with his team. And the Athletic has a huge UK team. Have you noticed that? The Athletic UK is like all over World Cup 2022 right now.
1: Yeah, they expanded to London. I think it was like last year or the year before. And now they're doing a ton of coverage out there, whether it's just the traditional American sports that they're trying to, uh, you know, give a lot of coverage over there to the UK, like uh, NBA, NFL, uh, MLB. Now, of course, they're going with the very popular sports over there like soccer.
0: So yeah, it's it's good stuff. That is absolutely right. 22 past the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Our phone number is 505-6009. So if you want to follow up, um, the conversation we just had with Jeff, we'd love to hear from you and anything else you want to talk about. We got a UTEP basketball game in an hour, folks. Six thirty, countdown to tip off Sol Ross State. What is very um intriguing about tonight's matchup is that there's five El Paso wins that are gonna be played for Sol Ross State, Adrian, so it's a big homecoming for this team.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I wrote about this yesterday on 600 com. Five players coming home to take on the Miners. It's uh, a lot of familiar faces. First off, it's headlined by Julian Paredes. uh, People who are out in Canyatillo might remember him. He's an Eagles alum. Uh, He is one of the standout players for the Lobos as well. Junior forward Mitchell Martinez is also a familiar name. Graduated from Eastwood High School. Omar Ibarra, who is a combo guard and forward, uh, graduated from Isleta. He's coming home tonight along with combo guard Christian Nevada. He's one of the best players in all the city of El Paso last year. Graduated from Americas, helped the Trailblazers in their big run uh, through the Texas State playoffs, and then Manny Flores from Chapin. So, uh, And Manny Flores was one of the best players on that team, and and we know how highly regarded that Chapin Huskies team was last year with the likes of Flores and K.J. Lewis and all those kind of guys. So, yeah, Antoine Holmes. So it's a, a nice group of players from Sol Ross coming home to take on the Miners.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on that one. In fact, it's going to be uh it's going to be fun for a lot of uh, for a lot of fans tonight because yep, they're going to see um they're going to see a lot of players that they might not know offhand, but um, you're going to enjoy the effort. You see, Soros always brings it whenever they come to town, and these five El Pasoans, you know they're going to want to make a statement when they come out here and at least play some competitive basketball.
1: And you know their families are going to want to watch them, so it'll be a good group of Lobos fans uh, getting a chance to watch their uh, you know, their kids coming home and, and watching that kind of stuff. That must be so rewarding right there. What a cool thing. I mean, these El Paso players grow up in this city. They get a chance to watch UTEP uh, basketball. And see what they do, and then get a chance to play here in college. Like that's a, an amazing opportunity, right there.
0: Totally agree with you. Totally agree. And uh, again, if you want to talk about it with us, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I you wrote about Sol Ross and the reunion. I wrote about crowds because we. I mean, I have an idea. Like if you were to ask me what are the crowds going to be like for the next five home games, my answer is about five to seven thousand per home game. I feel like that is the, the average. And by the way, I'm not going to preach to you that you need to go watch this UTEP basketball team play. Truth is, they haven't, won, they haven't gone to the tournament in 12 years. They haven't won an NCAA tournament game in 30 years. Um, we always hype them. Fans always get disappointed. That's just what it is. What have they done so far in their first two home games? Well, they played Texas tough for about 35 of the 40 minutes, but ended up losing by 15. They come back and five nights later beat the Aggies for the first time in three years and only the second time in the last eight years. So to me, if you're going to, and I wrote about this part of the in the story, Adrian, the fans that are going to be there are going to be there. Okay. They've got their, they have their core fans, so the question is, A, can you get the bandwagon fans on board? And B, can you get the students back on board? And that's the rub because the, the fans that want to go are going to be there these next five games. We already know that. So when I was looking into um, Utah basketball and writing about um, you know the, the crowds over the next five home games – I wanted to do a deeper dive on first um, the cost of tickets. So, I reached out today to the UTEP ticket office, and I found out number one that that ninety-one dollar fifty cent season ticket is going to go on through uh, really the start of conference play. So, for about another month or so, you'll get that ninety-one dollar fifty cent season ticket. Um, also. They've sold 245 of the $91.50 season tickets through now, which apparently is about 10% of their season ticket number. So let's say they got a 2,500 base, 245 of those are the $91.50 season tickets. Um, They've got 100 of those left. So um, I know some people have been calling up saying they can't find the $91 tickets. Listen. Don't deal with the online version. Just go to the Brumblow building. Go to the Eisenberg family ticket office and tell them that's what you want. There's 100 of them left. So you you will be able to get that $91 season ticket between now and the start of conference play. And I hope they sell them out. I want them to sell them out. And then... There's the $9.15 ticket. So here's what I found out about that. They will, they've they got about 600 of those for every home game on the schedule. 600. $9.15 tickets. And if you don't want to deal with taxes and fees or add-ons or that, if you go to the Eisenberg Family Ticket Office right there at the Brumblow Building, Nine dollars and fifteen cents is exactly how much those tickets will cost you. Not ten dollars, not eleven dollars, not nine dollars and seventy-five cents, nine fifteen per ticket. So UTEP, um, you know, they need help getting the word out, which is why we're here today to help you out. And and just let all of you know, listening, that if you want a cheap ticket or a cheap season ticket, you can still get them. You'll be able to get cheap tickets throughout the season. Okay? that's That $9.15 ticket is not going away. It'll be there for every game until they sell the allotted 600 of those out, and then you're going to have to pay the the larger prices. And if you want to really get a deal, the $91.50 season ticket, they've got 100 of those left. So Adrian... That was the most interesting part of the story when I was writing this is, is not what the crowds are going to look like for the next five games, but the fact that if fans have always said they can't get a reasonable ticket, now they can.
1: That's such uh, encouraging news right there because yeah, I think there was a lot of confusion among some of our listeners who tried to call the ticket office, who tried to go online for the ticket office, but yeah, I guess the the point is go in person right now yes. and they've got plenty available on both season tickets and single game tickets. That's great.
0: Don't worry about, you know, like you just said, Adrian, trying and uh, you know having problems online or nobody answering the phones. Just just go just go to the UTEP ticket office tell them that's what you want and they'll they'll accommodate you so that's, that's great
1: news i mean that they need uh they need to just get the word out big time because if you if uh like you wrote in the story 10% of the total season ticket holders right now are these $91.50 that that percentage should grow right like with all the ticket season tickets available
0: right there they could get that number to grow in a big way well let's put it this way I hope for UTEP's sake they sell the final hundred ninety-one dollar tickets. Maybe they maybe they add more, but at least they get rid of these last hundred. And then I'm really hoping that they sell all six hundred nine dollar tickets per home game. And then anybody that wants listen, if you want to go, and let's say you got a family of four, that's thirty-eight bucks to get you to a basketball game for a family of four. That's reasonable. I mean, that really is. And they're doing promotions. I think they got the $5 tacos and $5 margaritas tonight because they're calling it Taco Tuesday night. Good for them. It works for the Chihuahuas and the Locomotive. UTEP should be doing these kind of promotions. Now, you got to handle the demand, but if you handle the demand, that's a, that's, that's a positive for fans. So you don't have to eat hot dogs, churros, popcorn, um, and the usual, nachos. Now you might be able to get, you know, something different like tacos on a Taco Tuesday. Good for them. I like
1: this. They're just uh, adding more things to the game day atmosphere for basketball and th- this is uh, something that they just need to try to get the word out there. Uh, and and for basketball, this is actually an exciting product to watch. I mean, th- this is a group that uh, is, you know, new. It's a brand uh, brand new roster pretty much, all joining in with Joe Golding in his second year at the helm yep. and they have high expectations. They don't want to just finish fifth place in Conference USA. They want to get to the Conference USA Championship game and go to the tournament again.
0: 505 Zero zero nine get you right into the program as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's go back to Adrian. He's standing by. He's got our uh, second of three bottom of the hour Sports Center updates. Adrian, thank you very much. Let's keep things moving. Go back to the phones right now. Enrique is joining us next as he's on his drive uh, at thirty four past the hour on Sports Talk. Enrique, what's going on? How are you?
4: Hey, hey, Kept. Uh, thanks for the call, uh, taking my call. Hey, you so, got it. Um, thanks
0: for getting in. Appreciate you.
4: I just want
0: to congratulate. Enrique, you still there? We heard congratulate. Now, hopefully, we'll get a chance to hear the rest of this. But um, I know that's what Enrique was getting ready to talk about. Let's see if we can get him back. Enrique, are you there? All right. Enrique, do me a favor. Just uh, call back when you get in better cell range And uh, we'll put you right back on. Um, I feel Enrique's pain. There are certain um, areas in this city that when you are traveling, especially on certain cell phone providers, you have no chance. No chance. I know with my provider, Sunland Park, Executive Center, UTEP, downtown, uh, you might as well just not not even bother. Not even bother because the phone service is always out. Let's see if Enrique's uh, got better reception this time. Sorry, Enrique, we lost you before, but go ahead. See if we can continue right where you left off. All I heard was you want to congratulate, and then we lost you.
4: Uh, I want to congratulate our minors. Um, they did really well against Texas for what it's worth. Top 15 team. After that, I knew we were going to bring the Battle of i back to El Paso and win against MSU. Let
0: me tell you something. I felt good about it, too. I was just like you. Watched the game, really liked what I saw against the Longhorns, and I figured when the Miners play the Aggies, I didn't think that New Mexico State would be ready for the defense and that intensity like what UTEP threw at them, and, and they weren't. So that was, a, that was a big win for them. I agree with you on that. And I also think that the fans that did go – saw enough now where they probably feel pretty good about going back and watching this team play again uh, during the season.
4: I agree. I, I, I just feel really confident about this UTEP men's basketball team this year, Cap. I think this team's going to go places. Uh, and if you mind, I have a question for you. Sure. Because uh, It's going to go to the Sumble. Um, this is my official pick. I think it's going to be Syracuse and Oregon State. But with, with uh, teams going out of the rat right now, who do you think is going to go? Because I thought it was going to be Notre Dame. But they have two back-to-back great wins against Clemson. And so I think it's going to be Syracuse at Falls to El Paso and at Oregon State, which is going to be a great matchup. i to gonna... take your comments up
0: here. Appreciate it, Enrique. We're going to do this with Bernie tomorrow at 5 when he joins us for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl watch. Um, I mean, Syracuse looked so promising. And now they've lost four in a row. And they're suddenly six and four, and three and three in the ACC. And I just, I don't know. I mean, you feel like the the shine is off of Syracuse. I, you know, you don't really now if they can come back and win their final two and finish uh, eight and four, that would be something. But they got to play at Wake Forest and at Boston College. Um, they might end up splitting those. And then, if you're seven and five, and you've lost five of the last six. Just, even though they've never been here before Adrian that doesn't make you feel good.
1: No it doesn't and there are other bowl games are of, of course that are associated with the ACC that might want Syracuse ahead of the Sun Bowl. Maybe it's Pitt. That would be a really fun team to watch as well. They've got a, a, a really good quarterback JT Daniels. Now I look at um, the Pac-12 Steve as kind of wide open as far as the selection goes too. Just like the ACC a lot of great quality, uh, good quality teams and then you look at uh, USC specifically. If they some somehow try to sneak their way into a college football playoff with a road game against UCLA this weekend and a game to close out the season against number 20 Notre Dame they'll they're gonna have a great resume to try to get into the college football playoff knowing that their only loss was a one-point loss to Utah 43-42 on the season that's good what point. kind of ripple effect would that have on the Sun Bowl
0: now you mentioned all these possibilities it's difficult because Oregon State last week um you know and they're not checking in at 25 in the the polls, um, they they just they they feasted on Cal. And by the way, Oregon State, their only losses: three points to Washington, three points to USC. Utah did blow them out, but that's a pretty impressive run for the Beavers. And you want to know something? They've got Arizona State on the road and Oregon at home. Who knows? Oregon State might end up being nine and three. Maybe they beat Oregon at home to, to end the civil war and. Tell you what, that would be uh that would be pretty remarkable if you get a 9 and 3 Oregon State team, but in that case, um Oregon might end up finishing uh with that same record, that same 9 and 3. And if they do, and they lose the Civil War, if Oregon came here, I wouldn't be upset with that either, would you? No, not at all. Of course
1: not. I would love to see Bo Nix. I mean, that would be incredible right there to see the Ducks come to town again after so long. And now, the interesting part about this is you could see a lot of 9-3 and three teams, a lot of 8-4 and four teams in the Pac-12. There is just one team kind of waiting you know behind the scenes who's trying to become bowl eligible, who has a realistic possibility of becoming it. It's the Arizona Wildcats who just knocked off number 12 UCLA and they go up against Washington State this week who's already bowl eligible and then they close out the year against Arizona State, They're rivals. They could easily become 6 and 6. I know that the Sun Bowl might ne- not necessarily take them at that level, but who knows if that's the case.
0: Jacob Cowing, 9 receptions, 118 yards in that win over UCLA.
1: He's been balling, man. 74 catches on the year, just under 1,000 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. Wouldn't be surprised to see him declare for the NFL draft after the season.
0: I just think that because of the quality at the top of the Pac-12 this year, barring some really crazy things happening... Um, we might get a really nice Pac-12 team when it's all said and done.
1: Yeah, really good team at that uh, at that level. And I, I will I would say this that I, uh, despite all the realignment conversations, despite everybody th- uh, already ready to bury the Pac-12, I've loved the quality from the Pac-12 this year. I think the football yeah. has just really elevated this season, and that's that's good to see right there. You want to see a, 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 a conference like the Pac-12 continue to elevate because that means a quality opponent will come here to the Sun Bowl.
0: Hundred percent right. right as uh, we continue here on Sports Talk. Again, would uh, love to hear from you on the show uh, at 505-6009 and follow that phone call up. Come back and uh, wrap up Hour 2. Still to come, Julio Lopez leading off our final hour, and then John Teicher and Steve Yellen from the Haskins Center. Stay with us. We've got less than an hour to go right here on 600 ESPN El Paso. 5.15 now the time as we continue here on Sports Talk. Give us a ring. We'd love to hear from you as we continue on the show. If you are in the market right now for buying or selling a home, ah, so many different people out there. Everywhere you look, there's another agent trying to get your business. They're probably calling you wanting to buy your house. But I'm going to tell you what, you need to stick with somebody who just gets gets it done. Results every single time. He's Brian Birds, of The Brian Birds home selling team powered by EXP Realty. And I say results, I mean it. In fact... Do you hear what happened to James and Ann? They had to sell their West El Paso home that they were renting out. They were tired of the hassles of managing a rental property. So they enlisted the help of Brian and his team. Home was listed for $320. After four days on the market, that home was sold for $15,000 over the list price. Now James and Ann have one less thing to worry about. Thank you, Brian Burns. Now remember, you need that sweet spot where you list your home. Not too high where it doesn't sell or too low where you need to leave money on the table. You really need Brian Birds and his team. In fact, there's so many delays in the El Paso area to getting a home sold. Timelines aren't met, but no matter what obstacle uh, it is, Brian and his team know how to get it done. So call the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC and the Rhinos. He's Brian Birds.
5: Hey, El Paso, have you heard? To sell your home.
0: You can also Google Brian Birds, B U R D S, and start packing. And questions coming in. Really enjoyed that. Um, interesting news from Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went out and said today that he thinks the NFL should mandate that all games are played on natural grass uh, in order to try and eliminate injuries. You know, he was talking about player safety. And here was the quote from Rodgers. No, honestly, I don't have a lot of confidence when it comes to the league making that decision without some sort of big vote in gripes from certain owners who don't want to spend the money. To me, this is player safety. Now, this is following an effort from the NFL Players Association over the weekend to bring attention to uh, a disparity between injury occurrences on grass and certain types of artificial surface, which is called slit film turf. And the NFLPA has called for the immediate replacement and ban of all slit film turf, citing a higher rate of injuries on those surfaces, which apparently are, uh, there there's seven teams that use it. The Giants, the Jets, they play in the same stadium. Lions, Vikings, Saints, Colts, and Bengals all use that. I've never heard of slit film turf. Have you?
1: Yes, I have. I've been, uh, I, I've been monitoring this story. I find it very intriguing because uh, you know a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was the it was ESPN who actually did a study on this as well, and they found that the rate of non contact injuries to the knee, ankle, and foot is about the same between grass and artificial playing surfaces. So the NFLPA uh, report actually uh, discredits that in a sense. It says that. It's really, uh, there's a difference between the turf and then those slit film turfs. So, it's kind of interesting when you break those things down. uh, You you look at and you just reel off those teams, the Giants, Jets, Lions, Vikings, Saints, Colts, and Bengals. uh, For those uh, different places right there, I'd be curious if they'd explore first artificial turf before going back to grass,
0: if they were pressured in that regard. Interesting. Uh, really, really interesting. I thought there'd be more teams using, I mean, artificial turf. Well, they are. They just don't use this particular type of turf. And if it's that bad and the injuries are stacking up, you got to do something to try to fix that.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to actually hear from a player. Like, What's the difference that you feel uh, between grass and artificial turf? I'd love to know the difference from a a person who's actually been there because it's easy for us to just say, hey, just go with grass or, hey, just go with turf and not play it.
0: Good point. Good, good point. All right, Julio Lopez is going to join us in our final hour, does it? Now, every El Paso high school has artificial turf. Is Is it the same type of turf or we don't really know that? No clue. All right. Find out before we bring him on. That's interesting. Sports Talk continues following the Dallas Cowboys update with Christy Scales here on 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk, third and final hour. We're with you for 30 minutes. John Teicher coming up, bottom of the hour. He'll join us in our final countdown with Steve Yellen. We started the show with Mark Torres. Adrian, now we get to talk to another... Of El Paso's best young head coaches, one of three teams that are advancing into the area round of the state playoffs. That's right.
1: Julio Lopez, head coach of the Eastwood Troopers, got a chance to be out there at Trooper Stadium this past Friday. Got to see them take home another by district title and defeat San Angelo Central in a game that just featured a ton of fireworks. Uh, over 1,200 yards of total offense by both teams. It was a, a fantastic, fantastic game.
0: Uh coach uh, Lopez joins us live on the show first off thank you for not putting Adrian uh and Steve Escajeda outside the press box like the day before we appreciate that Julio
5: Yeah it was definitely cold Friday and it man it was various times during the game we're like man, are we still in the first quarter right now or the second quarter of, it was just really long but no, it was it was a great night and I and you know I appreciate you guys having me on always enjoy coming on the show
0: Ah, we appreciate you coming back with us, and uh, congratulations on the uh, on the by district uh, by district title. I know uh, you like everybody else. High hopes when the season begins. You want to have a chance to make a deep run in the state playoffs, and the first thing is uh, just trying to get by by district. Look, when you were playing high school, it was nice to know that you pretty much had a chance to play against another El Paso school in by district. But those days are over now, coach. And you always have to go uh, against an out of town team, which makes things uh, much more challenging for all the El Paso high schools
5: yeah definitely I actually I don't think I'm that old because I, when, I remember when I was a senior we played San Angelo Central in the first round and we actually lost to them 14-13 so it was a, it was nice to avenge my my senior year loss to the Bobcats but yeah it's definitely tough you know I think this year um you know you saw with with all 17 high schools in town that made the playoffs having to play an out-of-town team and go east to play it, or, or hosting here. Um, it was just definitely a tougher year to get to the second, you know, to second weekend with as many teams as we could.
0: And by the way, um, you, you know, you knew this game would be crazy. Did you think it would be just as crazy as it turned into? Sixty-one um, forty-nine. That is a uh, hundred and ten points, coach. That is uh, that's unbelievable.
5: Yeah, no, I definitely didn't. You know, we had obviously been uh, the last couple of weeks with Franklin and Motwood and, and Eastlake, our defense had been playing lights out. We knew that San Angelo Central was very explosive, so we knew that they wanted to get into a shootout. Uh, we had a lot of respect for their quarterback. We thought he was a dynamic athlete and and obviously saw 10 games worth on film of what he can do. But, you know, for us, it, w- it was it was just nice to be able to win a game a different way you know again we the week before we threw a shutout 142-0 against a good Eastlake team and then to have to get the offense to score 61 I mean it's maybe not ideal but it at least shows that we're built to win in a couple different ways and and we overcame adversity and again just really proud of our kids and happy to be prepping for another game this week
1: Coach, uh, for those uh, of our listeners who know your program and know a lot about the Eastwood Troopers, they're going to think of an air raid type of offense. It's spreading around. It's you know quarterbacks like Mark Torres who've been around in the system, Christian Castañeda, Andrew Martinez, a lot of prolific passers. And you you have a prolific passer on your team right now, but somebody that you use his dual threat abilities in a big way. Your junior quarterback and Evan Mijares. What was this mentality of kind of changing this offense to become more? Ro- run-oriented throughout this whole season?
5: I think it just evolved. You know, um, the addition of Max Mancia and then obviously Jake Chanowski and the way they complement each other in the backfield as well, um, I think kind of pushed us in that direction. Um, You know, we played Southlake week one. Obviously, Southlake was a tough draw to get right off the bat, but then week two we came out against Las Cruces, and we threw for, I think, 400 yards or whatever it was. And then we ran into Pebble Hills, and I think it honestly, in in a – in some way, I mean, obviously you don't want to have to lose to, go to, to learn about yourself, but in that loss at the sack that night, um, I think we learned a lot about ourselves, and we evolved from there. Um, we, we just kind of went to more of a ground-and-pound type of game, and we were able to control the clock in certain situations at the end of games. And, you know, before you knew it, we were looking up, and we're rushing for 300 yards a game, 350 this past week. I think we ran for 460 yards on the ground against San Angelo. So, you know, I, I just think we've evolved, and I think a good offense always, you know, always uses the the talents of their of their players to maximize their ability. And I think for us this year, a lot of that has been on the ground. I mean, not now that's to say, Evan has still thrown for 2,500 yards. You know, we've still thrown the ball. You know, and we still have a thousand yard receiver in Curtis Murillo. So it's not like we just run the triple option now, but I just think we've had a lot more balance this year than maybe what we've had in the past. And Evan is a big part of that in the quarterback run game. And he's done a a great job for us.
0: Is nine touchdowns and 663 yards of offense, a a new Eastwood playoff record?
5: I don't know. You know, we we've had some really good ones. Uh, uh, Again, I, I go back to even in some losses against Abilene Cooper here, Christian Castaneda threw for 600 that night. Um, Mark Torres had a, I think, 630 yards by himself against Friendship in that win. Um, obviously, Andrew, I mean Andrew, had some fantastic games in the playoffs as well. So, I would have to actually go back and look to see where it ranks up there. But, I mean, it's definitely going to be up there somewhere at the top. That's for sure.
0: It really is. And, and tell me when when you had the victory, you're holding up the trophy, had a chance to talk to your players. What'd you tell them?
5: just that i'm proud of them you know i'm I'm proud of them I'm, i mean obviously you know especially this year in district 16a um, having eight district games and then the parody that was going on week to week within the district to come out with a share of a district title there uh, to host san angelo central and you know at no point throughout the week or even on that night did we feel panicked in any way we felt the whole time we were the better football team and we were going to win and and it came you know t- again just to to end the night with a tro- another trophy to our to our time here at Eastwood, it's it just you know really just really proud of the program, proud of the administration, the kids, and I'm just happy, you know, and, and obviously celebrating another week of getting to practice and be together as a family.
0: Julio Lopez with us here head coach of the Eastwood Troopers on Sports Talk as we continue. By the way, nice job with the Jordan jerseys. Uh are you the only high school in El Paso that wears the Jumpman logo on their high school football jerseys?
5: We are. Yeah, we are. So we we have our we got our navy set. I think two, it was 2 years ago that we got it. Um we're ordering our now our our light colored set going into next year. Um but we are at this point the only team in El Paso to have the Jump Man on the jersey, so it's a nice little Michigan look when you see us on Friday night, and that's why I'm happy this Friday we get to wear our home jerseys. So it'll be nice to break those out again this week.
0: Was that a personal request for you? Did you want that? Did you get the, the team vote for it? Tell me the the storyline behind that.
5: Yeah, it was. I mean, if you got the Jump Man on your on your jersey, you're going to try to wear it as much as possible, especially this year. You know, we're we're very super. Or I'm very superstitious. I guess that's the baseball guy and me but um you know we're we, this year we had a great run at home where we went you know five and oh in those jerseys so then it came to it came time to host san angelo central and we're like hey we're not going to go away from it let's put the jordan the, you know the navy back on finish six and oh and so um I, I like our chances going into this week just because we get to wear navy again
1: Hey, speaking of Jumpman, uh, one of your best players on your team, and, and you talked about him earlier, but I just want to expand on this. Curtis Murillo, the, the receiver on, on your team, uh, also does a lot for you all defensively. What does he mean to this group? And, and not just this group, but what has what his impact been throughout the city of El Paso as one of the best receivers in this town?
5: Oh, I mean, the kid is one of, if not the best player I've been around at the high school level. And I'm not, I'm not just exaggerating that. And, and when you see him on a Friday night and the impact he makes on defense, on offense, on special teams. Um, the kid, you know, the kid is just dynamic, you know, and, um, you know, he's gotten a lot of interest, but, but nothing solid. I, I, I really wish UTEP would offer him. I wish NMSU would offer him. Uh, I know tech likes him a lot and he's been up there a lot lately. So I wouldn't be surprised to have to see him go up there um, next fall, but you know, it's just, He's just a great kid. He comes from a great family, and we uh, we had both his brothers in the program. And so what he has meant to this program, I just can't even put into words. I mean, he has two trophies um, in his time this year as a senior. He had two trophies last year. He started on that as a sophomore on that district title team during COVID. That's another trophy that year. He's one of only two freshmen that I've ever played in my time here at, in eight years at Eastwood when he started two games for us as a freshman. So, you know, we're – We're going to enjoy him as long as we can, but we are certainly going to miss Curtis when he leaves us, uh, whenever this run is over.
0: You know, you said something really interesting. You said you wished UTEP would offer him, and you also wished that NMSU would offer him. Uh I don't, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, you know, Murillo, but just players in general that you've been around in the eight years. Is the general consensus that they would like to try to get some of the best players in El Paso to become preferred walk-ons and, and earn the scholarship down the road? Or have you seen, you know, uh, if you've got a, a real good one, UTEP or New Mexico State willing to, uh, to put a scholarship on the line?
5: No, I think they've. I think they've shown over the years that they're they're willing to offer, and it just. I think it depends on, on the position. Sometimes I think it depends on who else has offered at that point, you know. And and if a kid doesn't have any other offer, I think that's where they try to go the route of a preferred walk on. Um, I think one of the toughest things that UTEP and NMSU would probably, I would imagine, need to understand though is like you know, NIL, I'm sure, is going to play a big role in whether you get those preferred walk-ons or not anymore, depending on the, type, the caliber of the athlete. You know, if you got a guy that can walk on at a Tech or walk on at a, at a, at a Power 5 school that's regionally in Texas or close to us, you know, I, I like, for example, Tech. Tech has an NIL deal where I think for 105 players on their team, they, I think they get $30,000 in NIL money. Well, that equates to a full-ride scholarship. Yep. So if you have 85 scholarships, those 85 kids are getting a bonus 30000 while the other 20 are essentially getting a full-ride. And so while maybe in the past you could land kids like that, you know, I think some it's going to take you throwing out an offer to, to land some of the higher-caliber ones that might have a chance to walk on at a Power 5 school. So, you know, it's just... Um, Again, I, I I think they've done a good job over the years. I, it's, it's always nice to see a Dion Hankins at UTEP, to see a, a Ray Flores. I mean, I, I, we have Joe immediato there who played offensive tackle for us a couple years back. So I think they've done a good job over the years. But you know, like Kurt, for me, Curtis is a guy that is a no brainer. I mean, in my opinion. But you know, again, everybody's recruiting boards look different and. Um, we'll just kind of see how it all plays out.
0: God, you bring such such a good point up, though, how schools now, Power Fives, can throw NIL money at preferred walk-ons, which is is a game-changer for a lot of kids, especially if that pays for their uh, for their schooling. I totally agree with you there. Uh, let's wrap it up and talk about the trophy club, Byron Nelson Bobcats. That's your opponent in the area round. They have one blemish on the season. It was October 28th, and uh, as you talked about earlier, you played South Lake Carroll to start the year. They played them later in the year, 38 Twenty-three. That's their only loss of the season.
5: Yeah, they're a great team. You know, uh, ten and one. I, I do feel though, by now in the playoffs, when you're like, there's only thirty-two teams left in our bracket. Well, I would, I would like to imagine all thirty-two are pretty good to include us, right? So, I don't think it comes as a shock to us that they're that they're a good football team. Um, they're very explosive offensively, you know. But I think I actually think everything runs through their defense. I think their defense is very stingy. Um, They don't give up a lot of points. They played Southlake tough in a kind of a rain filled night for a district uh, championship. Um, But we just got to, you know, we got to understand that the reason we play Southlake, the reason we played a Smithson Valley last year or go to play a Plano or any any of the teams that we've played over the years, we do that to set us up for this moment where we're not shocked at the talent level. We're not shocked when we get there Friday night at the skill level that we're going to see. And and so that we're not intimidated, and I think that's half the battle. And then obviously the other half is just going out there and playing a good football game and executing. So I think as long as that you know we do that, um, I like our chances. And I and, I, and again I, any, any given Friday night, um, especially in the playoffs at this point, uh, the team that comes out and, and executes better is going to win.
0: Coach, keep it going, man. We would love to keep talking to you each and every week as you keep uh, the Eastwood uh, season alive. And, heck, even when it comes to an end, plan on coming back with us and uh, spending more time talking sports here on the show. That'd be great.